Welcome to T. Rowe Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Michael Davis, and I'm thrilled to be your host. I've spent my career working to help people build a durable retirement. It is such an honor to do this work and an even greater privilege to be with the retirement experts we have with us here today. These professionals can help you feel more confident about your own retirement, whether you're planning for retirement or already there. In this episode, we'll take a deeper dive into IRAs. In an earlier episode, we talked about the basic differences between various types of IRAs. This time, we'll focus on the benefits of these accounts at different points in your life. I'm joined by T.R. Price experts Roger Young, a certified financial planner professional, and Michael DeJoseph, a chartered financial analyst. Welcome to the show, Roger and Michael. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you. I am shocked and thrilled to be invited back. <laughs> <laughs> well, we took a straw poll on that, but uh, you uh, you won. So we're happy to have you here. So today we're going to talk about the differences between traditional and Roth IRAs. These accounts have different tax consequences. They have different rules and eligibility requirements. So being confused around the different benefits of each is understandable. But it shouldn't be a confidence killer. We'll try to demystify these today. And Mike, I'll start with you. Is there an easy way to summarize the basic differences between Roth and traditional IRAs? Sure. I think that's a great place to start. And uh, really, I'd say if you think about the 101 level of the differences between Roth and traditional, the the primary difference is going to be the tax treatment, meaning how the money goes in and how the money comes out. A traditional IRA, that's what we would call pre-tax, meaning generally it's deductible from your income in the year that you make that contribution. So you don't pay taxes on the money when you invest it up front, but then you pay taxes when it later comes out. Roth would be the opposite. It's after-tax, meaning your income's come in, you've paid the taxes on it, you're now doing after-tax money into the investment account, and then you potentially don't pay the taxes when it comes out later. Um, Of course, there are rules around contributions and withdrawals and age limits and all of that. But that's kind of the general difference there. It's very, very helpful. And can you talk about some of the benefits of the Roth IRA in particular? I mean, there's benefits of both for sure. But when I think about the benefits of the Roth, you can actually withdraw the principal up to the level of contributions that you've made at any time without penalty and without tax. That doesn't account for the actual earnings. So if you invest a certain amount and then it grows, because it's invested, you can't take the full amount out, but that contribution. So it gives you a little bit of optionality there. And then I think a big one, there's no RMDs. And so when we talk about RMDs, it's required minimum distributions, meaning money that you're required to take out after a certain age so that you pay the taxes on it and Uncle Sam gets their share. Roger, I'll turn to you now. Let's talk about younger investors, say under 35. And of course, everybody in this room is 35 and younger, of course. <coughs> uh, Excuse me. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, what would you say are the benefits of a Roth versus a traditional IRA for that group in particular? Yeah. I mean, the life stage aspect is very important here. And young people typically have lower income now than they will later in life, say later in their career or, or perhaps even in retirement. So they're probably in a lower tax bracket now, and that makes a Roth contribution attractive. Right now, as we sit here, there are brackets as low as 10% and 12%, and those could be the lowest a lot of people are ever going to see in their lifetime. Not necessarily. Things can happen. You never know what's going to happen with Congress, but I think most of us would agree 10 and 12% aren't outrageous taxes to pay, hopefully. But anyway, so those are things that, for a lot of young people, favor Roth. Now, As Mike mentioned, the Roth contributions, the money you put in, can be taken out tax and penalty-free. I I would just add to that, 
you shouldn't consider a Roth your emergency fund. Ideally, you put money into a Roth and you keep it there till retirement. But in a pinch, it can be helpful that that money can come out. Now, one note I'm going to make, and now we're, you know, Mike, you said 101 level. I'm going to get to 201 level here. Be careful. Um, Okay, I'll I'll, I'll go slowly. (laughs) Now, sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, the Roth is better for you if you have a long time horizon because of compounded growth. And I would say that's not exactly true. Mathematically, if your tax rate stays the same your whole life, traditional and Roth contributions actually, on an apples-to-apples basis, end up with the same value. Okay, and you can check my math, but it's true, you know, with with that caveat of tax rates staying the same your whole life, which probably won't happen. And that's keeping equal the amount that you have available to spend today. So don't get too caught up in all the theory. And there are still good reasons to favor a Roth, particularly for young people. But to me, it's more based on your relatively low tax rate today than it might be in the future. And what about those mid-career investors? People say around you know, 35 to age 50, what are the benefits of a Roth versus a traditional IRA? I'll turn to you, Mike. I think that's a pretty difficult question, mainly because it's a period when complexity starts to increase for investors. This may be a time when generally people start to go through a period of income acceleration, which makes it a little more complicated, as Roger put it, kind of predict your future tax rate. And you also have to start around this time considering the longer-term implications of the decision, especially if you want to leave something behind to people or to a cause. And you also are probably trying to balance those retirement goals with other goals, house, uh, education, all of those things. So Roger talked a little bit about that kind of optionality. Maybe you don't you know, necessarily look at the Roth as an account that you are planning on pulling assets out of, uh, but it is there in a pinch. And so when I think about it, it's, you know, diversification is not just for investments, right? It can apply to the investment accounts as well. I call that tax diversification. And so at this period of time, if it's unclear how to predict those future tax rates versus the current, we'd say, you know, maybe the way to think about it is to, to do a little bit of both in some ways and, you know, consider the broader picture. Now, now Mike, it's interesting you brought up that tax diversification concept and, and something I, I've heard about and, and seen, you know, a number of people pining on, what about the possibility that Congress might change tax rates? Some people say, well, what if, what if Congress takes away some of the benefits of a Roth? Is that something you think about? As a general rule, I would try to not predict what Congress is going to do. That's or, a good uh, rule to have. Or, or any <laughs> other, uh, you know, political environment. But yeah, uh, absolutely. It's something that it's not just the tax rates, right? It's the tax policy. It's the treatment of the accounts. For some people, you think about the time horizon that we're talking about right now. If you start saving, uh, you know, let's just say in your early 20s, you may have a 50, 60, 70-year time horizon. That would be like us sitting here and had to have predicted tax rates today all the way back in 1950. I love that idea of tax diversification. I think that's a really important concept. And Roger, I want to turn back to you. For those late career investors, those more seasoned investors, ages 50 and plus, You've done some research in this area. What did your research find? Well, interestingly, I found that if most or all of your retirement savings are in traditional accounts today, when you get to that late stage of your career, you should at least consider making a switch to Roth going forward. Now, that might seem surprising because you might be in your peak earning years and you're thinking, oh, I'm I'm paying a relatively high tax rate. Um, But there are two main reasons that I made this observation. First, 
you're eventually going to have those required minimum distributions that Mike talked about. And they could be fairly large if you've got a lot of money in traditional accounts. Now, you might not need all of that money to live off of. And as you get later in your retirement, because the percentage that you have to take out is higher, those could actually bump you up into a higher tax bracket. So it's something to think about. Maybe it would happen, maybe it wouldn't. Now, second, though, and probably more important here, is the SECURE Act, which was passed a few years ago. Due to the SECURE Act, traditional assets left to beneficiaries other than a spouse, those could easily increase the beneficiary's tax burden. So most beneficiaries other than the spouse now need to take out all of that money within 10 years of your death. Now, that's as opposed to the old rules where they could spread that out over their lifetime. So that could be a big difference if you're leaving your money to someone who's 30, 40, 50. To sum it up, if your savings are well on track, you feel like, like you're, you're you know, relatively secure in, in being able to have a successful retirement, Roth contributions could end up being better for your family without sacrificing your ability to enjoy your retirement. Really thoughtful. Mike, you were wise enough not to offer an opinion on what Congress is going to do over a 50-year horizon. I thought that was good thinking. Uh, But what about uh, a question around whether people should care more about tax savings now or later? Well, first I would ask, I think you said, Mike, you were wise. So if we could edit that part out, uh, give it to me as a sound clip to play to my wife, that would be (laughs) fantastic. I would just say, and I think we would all acknowledge that Roger is probably the more rational of the two of us. And so the way he put it was kind of like all else equal. It doesn't really matter all that much whether you pay him now or, or pay him later. Again, if you have the same tax rate throughout, I don't believe that all else is equal. And so what comes to mind is the behavioral finance principle of loss aversion, which effectively goes a dollar lost hurts twice as much as a dollar gained in the moment. And so when you start talking about would you rather pay taxes now or pay taxes later, most people are going to say later or never, <laughs> ideally. But I think what you need to really keep in mind is, again, understanding you know how those rates are going to change, taking into account the bigger financial picture of what's going to happen to the assets, whether you're going to spend them down in retirement or you're trying to leave them. The most important thing is going to be allowing time for those tax advantages, right? We're talking about traditional and Roth. Generally, we would just say these are tax-advantaged accounts, emphasis on the advantage. So giving time for that advantage to work uh, and compound is going to be really important. And then I think the, the final thing, and this is kind of, again, maybe not the most rational way to look at it, but just just knowing there may be more weight, if you will, on paying taxes out of pocket later on in life. You may not have the ability that you hope and think that you will to do that, and you may not have the willingness to want to do that when you're actually in retirement. Really thoughtful insight. Thanks so much. Now, what about rollovers? Are there pros and cons to rolling over when you change jobs? And I'll come back to you, Mike. Yeah, great question. And as someone who actually relatively recently changed jobs, something I personally had to deal with. After today, maybe dealing with it again. <laughs> I suppose we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. Um, first and foremost, not every plan is going to allow you to stay in it. So you may not always have the choice uh, of whether to roll over the assets or not. But if you do, there's a couple things to look at. Consider the fees and the costs of both the plan and the fund, right? So if you leave the money there, you know, what are the costs? Uh, what's the investment menu? 
Generally speaking, you're going to have less options in, say, an employer plan, for example, than you would if you were to roll the assets over into a, a rollover IRA, or you'd have a much wider breadth of investment options. Uh, and I would say, too, the last point there is, you know, especially as you're later in career, if you're starting to near retirement, just keep in mind most plans are kind of geared towards accumulation, and you might be starting to think about the decumulation phase. So there's certainly a number of factors there with changing jobs. I don't think there's any one right answer there. I'll just add first and foremost, when you switch jobs, you really have four options. You could cash it out. You could roll it into another plan, potentially the new plan. Uh, you could leave it where it is, or you could roll it into a rollover IRA. There's also you know, not just changing jobs near retirement, but the actual retirement itself. You've left your final job, or hopefully you don't have to go back. And the factors you mentioned... Mike, th those are all still very important. There are some additional considerations when you retire. One would be the flexibility of withdrawals. So you want to find out things like, does your workplace plan allow for partial withdrawals whenever you want? Can you choose which investments to sell? Or do they kind of come out in proportion to what's in there? Can you take distributions of your Roth account and traditional assets separately? You know, much like with IRAs, you know, you can have a Roth 401k and a traditional 401k, both, if, if your plan allows. So IRAs, it's your money. It's an individual account. That offers the flexibility to have separately a traditional and a Roth IRA so you, you can make those choices. I'd also add that Roth IRAs, those don't have those required minimum distributions, but a Roth 401k does. So that's a little nuance that you want to think about in making this choice one last thing. If you're in a position where you're worried about creditors or lawsuits, a 401k plan generally offers you better protection than an IRA does. Again, you'll want to talk to legal counsel about the specifics there and what your position is, but you know, just one more factor to think about in that decision. So Roth conversions. If someone doesn't have a Roth and is looking to convert, is there a preferred time to do it? And is there a strategy that they should think about when they do? I'll start with you, Mike. There are certainly people in our industry who are very gung-ho on the Roth conversion, right? It's like if you have an IRA, convert it to Roth, and that's the, the standard. So I think it's a great question because you asked, is there a time to do it? Is there a strategy behind it? And the answer to both of those things is most likely yes. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And so a couple of things. If you think about the mechanics of what a Roth conversion is, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's taking traditional IRA assets and converting them to Roth. What do you have to do to do that? We have to pay the taxes on them. And so the two big levers here are going to be the value of the account or the value of the amount of the account that you're converting and the tax rates. And so those two things both fluctuate, whether it's because of policy changes, whether it's because of life changes. And when you start to think about that, uh, I think it brings into focus a couple points that you'd want to consider in terms of developing a potential Roth conversion strategy. And so one is the account may be lower. And for all of our listeners and for us who've lived through market downturns, it's kind of part of the game, right? The market goes up and the market goes down. Are there periods of time when maybe that traditional IRA account is worth a little less than it was in the past or maybe worth less than you believe it will be in the future, especially if you're a longer-term investor with some risk assets in that portfolio? Well, maybe the balance is down a little bit and converting it over will result in less taxes paid in aggregate than if you just let it grow and then take it out and pay the taxes later. The other lever there is your income tax bracket and your rate. The traditional 
scenario, I would say, is this income cliff, maybe after peak earning years, but before you start taking Social Security or any RMDs that we've talked about a lot from traditional assets that you may have. And so what you might find is that there are potentially a period of years when you're in those lower tax brackets that Roger mentioned and potentially using that opportunity there to convert some of those assets at a lower bracket. And the only last thing I'll kind of point out there is to just keep in mind the conversion tax has to be funded. So when you convert it over, you do have to pay the taxes on it, whether it's from the proceeds themselves or from some outside assets. So this isn't some magic wand that I think a lot of people make it out to be, right? It's, it sounds too good to be true. It's like, what's the catch? Well, oh, you do have to pay for it. And yes, that, that kind of magical period between retirement and RMDs or taking Social Security is, is a great thing to think about. Also would point out, you know, it can be very advantageous to do a Roth conversion if you expect to leave an estate, you think there will be money left over, or you think that you're not going to necessarily need all of your RMDs to live off of, there might be some excess there. Those tend to be situations that would favor a Roth conversion. Another one I'll mention is for you know some married couples. Not all are going to be affected by this, but you know, a surviving spouse could potentially be in a higher bracket because they go from being in a married tax bracket to a single tax bracket. And that's not necessarily going to bump them up, but it could. And so especially if there's a big age gap between spouses and potentially a long period of time of survivorship, those RMDs could be could be a big tax burden for for the surviving spouse. And so doing some Roth conversions ahead of time to prepare that could be good. I also mentioned earlier the tax rates today seem like they might be at a, at a relative low since the, the tax cuts a few years ago. And they're actually scheduled to revert to higher levels in a few years. So a lot of people in our business are saying, well, now is, is really a, a time to do it. And again, like Mike said, you know, there are the super gung-ho people. I'm, I'm not in the super gung-ho crowd. Um, I think it, it's very dependent on your situation. But, but you do want to think about the, the possibility of those tax rates reverting um, there are other, again, kind of nuances, getting a little more detailed, things like Medicare premiums. So if you trip certain levels of income, that can be at thousands of dollars in higher Medicare premiums that you face. So having Roth assets can help you in the future to manage that and stay below that threshold. You want to be careful about doing too much of a conversion now and inadvertently having more income and going into that higher Medicare premium category. Depends on your situation and you know, hopefully someone can help you work through all those details. One of the things about retirement is generating income from the retirement savings that you've amassed over the course of your career. Where do IRAs fit into that drawdown strategy, that retirement income context? And how does someone know whether to take money out of a taxable, tax-deferred, or an after-tax account? I'll start with you, Mike. Great question. So I'd start with the conventional wisdom here would be you reach retirement. You're going to have your RMDs potentially at some point. So that's money coming out. You're paying taxes on it. If you were to reinvest it, you would have to pay taxes on it again. So it's kind of, okay, we'll spend that first. We would say dividends and interest payments and things like that that are coming from the taxable account. Same thing applies. You're paying taxes on the money when it comes out. So we would say spend that. Then the hard question comes up, right? It's like, okay, well, I have all these different accounts potentially. What do I do now? And I think it makes a lot of sense, certainly to me, right? We're conditioned our whole saving lives to save in these retirement accounts, 401k, IRA, Roth IRA, they're all retirement accounts. And you reach retirement 
And the natural inclination is what? Spend. From? <laughs> this is your, your, your traditional account. Or retirement account. Yeah. Right? We would say, okay, well, they're called retirement yeah. accounts yeah, exactly. for a reason, right? Well, so I'd say the conventional wisdom here is that that would actually be wrong. <laughs> and that you would spend from the taxable account first and give those, remember I mentioned tax advantage? Yeah. Right? You give Not more tax-free, time. tax advantage. Yeah. Ta- some of the tax-free when it comes out, maybe yeah. tax-free when it goes in, but it's an advantage one way or another. And you give that time to compound. So for a lot of people, that might work pretty well, specifically those who are looking to probably maximize their lifetime income and really convert that portfolio into that income stream. In the math world, you know, in the perfectly rational Roger world, we would say if you're spending your last dollar, you know, on your last day, that's probably the optimal strategy. Most people aren't doing that. You know, it doesn't necessarily work best for estate planning because you maybe don't necessarily want to leave a traditional IRA to heirs, right? Um, and depending on where else they may be going, it won't allow you to take advantage of the step up in basis on a taxable account, meaning your heirs would inherit the assets in a taxable account at that higher amount and have to pay less taxes on it. But as you can see, even trying to explain this, it gets complicated pretty quickly. And so a lot of it is an exercise in examining the different trade-offs between those strategies. Yeah, and I think uh, all, all of that is very helpful. And I, I do want to clarify, I, I'm, I'm not super rational. I don't think that people should necessarily plan to spend their last dollar on the, you know, the, the funeral costs. In terms of thinking about the strategies, yes, trying to think about them rationally, um, here are a few things to consider. One option you might want to think about is you might want to fill up a relatively low tax bracket with those traditional or tax-deferred withdrawals or distributions or even Roth conversions, you know, like we talked about. And those would be intended to reduce your taxes on the required minimum distributions later. Okay. So filling up a low tax bracket is one thought for you. Another one is before you get to the RMD stage, you might want to consider taking some profits on your investments in taxable accounts. And the, the time you might want to do that is if you're below the threshold for capital gains taxes. So it's interesting, capital gains taxes are both at a lower rate than ordinary taxes for almost everyone, and also they have a higher threshold before they kick in at all. So you might have this situation where you're paying some taxes, but you're still getting um, no taxes on capital gains. So that would be something to take advantage of Typically, you're more in a position to do that before you reach RMDs. And then third, now we're getting, again, a little more detailed. But, you know, you talked about for for beneficiaries, for estate purposes, it might not be great to leave them those tax-deferred assets that they have to pay taxes on later. But it could be better. It depends on what you think, you know, their tax rates might be. That's hard to predict. But maybe as you're getting older, you get some sense of whether your kids are high income or low income. And, you know, you, you might not ask them directly what tax bracket they're in, but you might get some sense. So, you know, if their tax rates are higher than yours, it's very helpful to leave them Roth assets if you're able to do that. If they have lower income, you might use the Roth assets yourself to meet your own needs and leave them the tax deferred money. It's a straightforward concept, but it's something that takes some planning and, and again, we'll, we'll say it again, you know, we'll talk to a tax or a financial professional about some of these strategies and, and how it fits your situation. 
this conversation has been just outstanding. I think we've unpacked a lot of information and knowledge for people to leverage. Mike, you talked about whether we're rational. I would say you're both very rational. <laughs> and I think the caliber of the conversation today really affirms that. I think it would be really great if we could just summarize a couple of key things that our listeners can take away from this discussion. And I'll start with you, Roger. A key theme to think about, we've talked about a lot, is your, your tax situation today versus the future. And like Mike said, it can be hard to pay more taxes today, but sometimes it's worth it. Okay, A financial planner can help you sort out the pros and cons of these but also, you can do your own research, and you can make a reasonable decision. Yeah, we were talking about rational, but it doesn't have to be calculated out to the nth degree. Reasonable can be good enough if your situation changes or you decide that uh, you, you didn't make the right decision. You, know, you, can, you can make changes going forward. How about you, Mike? Any key takeaways that you'd want the listeners to have? I think you heard today there's a, there's a little bit of an art and a science here like so many other uh, topics in investing, right? We, we kind of joke about the rationality and making the perfect decision versus a good decision. So I would just say consider the balance between the two, consider that tax diversification. And then I'll just add, these decisions are not made in isolation, right? It's almost like the butterfly effect of investing. It's a decision that you're making potentially early on in your career, 20 or 30 years, could have implications, one, two, maybe even three generations down the line, potentially. So I think it's worth really thinking about and, and taking the decision seriously. But again, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good either. Well said. It's hard to believe, but our time is almost up. Uh, but before we go, I want to ask each of you to give our listeners just a quick next step, parting thought you want to leave them with. And I'll start with you, Roger. So I'll, I'll tell a little personal story. When the Roth was introduced years ago, I converted some of my retirement assets. Now, I'm not saying that that's what everyone should do. And this is not advice, all that. But, you know, I did it. Okay. And this was before I was even a financial planner. Now, today, I have no idea what tax rate I paid on that conversion. I could probably figure it out, but I have no idea. But nonetheless, I'm still happy today that I have some Roth assets. We talk often about flexibility and that it's, it's nice to have that flexibility and that tax diversification. And I do believe that. For most people, having at least some Roth assets entering retirement is really helpful. How about you, Mike? I would just say the fact that you're all listening and made it this far, I think, is a huge plus, And you should be really proud that you're committed to thinking through these topics. So I'd, I'd say you're likely already ahead of the game. So just be sure to take that next step and, and actually take action. Stay consistent and adjust as necessary. So well said. Thanks so much to you both for joining us today. It's been a terrific conversation. Thanks, Michael. Thank you for having us. Again, I'm Michael Davis. I want to thank you all for listening. Please tune in for our next episode, which focuses on the five W's of retirement. Looking forward to that one. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, be well. And I wish you all many confident tomorrows to come. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision.
All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. The opinions and commentary provided do not take into account the investment objectives or financial situation of any particular investor or class of investor. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. Consider all available options, which include remaining with your current retirement plan, rolling over into a new employer's plan or IRA, or cashing out the account value. When deciding between an employer-sponsored plan and an IRA, there may be important differences to consider, such as range of investment options, fees and expenses, availability of services, and distribution rules, including differences in applicable taxes and penalties. Depending on your plan's investment options, in some cases, the investment management fees associated with your plan's investment options may be lower than similar investment options offered outside the plan. IRAs and retirement accounts should be considered long-term investments. Both IRAs and retirement accounts generally have expenses and account fees, which may impact the value of the account. Maximum IRA contributions are subject to eligibility requirements. Early withdrawals are subject to taxes and possible penalties. For more detailed information about taxes, consult a tax attorney or accountant for advice. Roth IRA contributions may be withdrawn at any time without taxes or penalties. Earnings may be withdrawn tax-free and penalty-free once you reach age 59 and a half and the account has been open for at least five years. Copyright 2022, T. Rowe Price, All Rights Reserved. T. Rowe Price, Invest with Confidence, Retire with Confidence, The Bighorn Sheep Design, and Confident Conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated, Distributor, T. Rowe Price, T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated, Investment Advisor.